Dear Lord God, we thank you that you are good, that you are here. That, Lord, in the midst of a culture of hurry, you call us to rest and to slow down. Lord, in the commandment, Lord, that we just read, that after we see that the people wanted to not be polluted by other religions, Lord, we read that they wanted also to take a day, just a day to, to rest, to remember the commandment, Lord, that you gave. Help us to understand how we can rest as we study the commandment. We thank you, God, in your son's name we pray. Amen. So this week we are continuing uh, our study of Nehemiah by looking at that covenant. We've been sitting in chapter 10 for a few weeks now. And the reason why we're sitting in chapter 10 is we, we are taking a closer look at this covenant that the people of Jerusalem made with God. If you remember, the people of Jerusalem, after the walls of Jerusalem were built, they rededicated their city. And as they rededicated their city, they wanted to just listen to Scripture. So they had Ezra, the prophet, read Scripture for six hours straight. And as they listened to scripture, they were deeply mourning and troubled because they realized how far from God they had gotten. They went from mourning their sin to joy in God's forgiveness and then praxis to this sense of let's go forward in practical action about God's goodness. And so the practical action that they took was to make this covenant with God, to write it down, this very formal covenant of what they're going to do and not do as a sign that they were recommitting themselves to God. So last week we talked about the deeper problem that led them to make this covenant. That as they were uh, reading the scripture and studying, they realized that they had gotten involved in syncretism. Syncretism is the melding and uh, merging of beliefs. So they had taken belief in Yahweh, the unique only God, and they had melded it with other idols and other ways of living. And they realized that they had polluted the message God had given them, and they had polluted their identity. They were no longer God's unique people. They just looked like everybody else. So we talked about last week that they took action in their relationships to stop this. They firstly said that their children could not marry idol worshipers so that other religions would not be melded in with their witness to the one true God. And this week, uh, in the passage right after the one that we read, we read that the other commandment, the next one that they made, is this commitment to take one day of rest, the Sabbath. They did this again to guard against syncretism. Everybody else around them worked seven days and did their work all the time. And this makes sense to us. Because if you work more, if you have a business, you're open one more day, you get more money. If you work, full t- if you work uh, overtime, you get a bigger paycheck. So it makes sense to work as much as you can. But in the midst of that, they realized that by doing that, they were actually missing the one true God. They were elevating work with worship. And so they decided, in verse 31 we read, that they said, when the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or any holy day. 
so they were decided that out of seven days, work as much, with all the work that needs to be done, they were going to stop hurrying around on one day, just one day, to worship and rest. Now, if you've been a Christian a while, I mean, that's not, you know, a foreign commandment. We've talked about Sabbath. I preached about Sabbath. But Sabbath is one of those things that, yes, we can know that, okay, it's probably good to take a day and go to church and do the things like that. But it's often harder to do it than to believe it. Because we live in a, a, a culture that is actually not so much different in some ways than the ancient Israelites. We also have this need to hurry, to do more. We live in a culture of hurry. I mean, just think about social media, how fast things go. Like, if you are not connected all the time, you're missing so much. Like, if you're not connected with your friends all the time, it's like, you know, four hours goes by and you're like, wait, I'm like 60 messages down. You know, what happened? You know, same with chats and other things like that. Things are moving so fast today. Same with our work. Same with school. There's always something to do. I even know today, for myself, there's always a ton of things to do on the, the Lord's Day that we call this day. And I know for you there is too. There's work. There's schoolwork. There's home, work in your house. If you have family and kids, there's, there's work with your children. There's so much always to do. That this idea of taking a day to not do those things can just seem unrealistic in our modern context. Yet the one thing we often don't realize is what the people of Jerusalem realized as they read the scripture. That not taking this day is actually damaging to our faith. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, that like not taking just a day to rest and worship and reflect and appreciate God and delight in his creation is actually damaging to your faith. That's what the people of Jerusalem realized. They realized that not taking the Sabbath day was damaging to their faith. Because, if, because they didn't take it, they forgot who they were. That they were God's people. They forgot whose they were. That they belonged to God. That they didn't belong to themselves, but they belonged to God. And they also forgot their witness. They forgot that they were supposed to be a missionary people. They were supposed to be a people that showed through their lives and their values and their beliefs who God is. And they had forgotten that. And a big part of that was not taking the day. They were hurrying too much. They couldn't even stop for one day. And that was a sign of the problem that they saw that they wanted to correct by reaffirming the Sabbath. And when we think about ourselves in our lives as well, just think about how hurry kind of affects you. Just this doctrine of hurry, that we can't stop, we can't reflect, we got too much to do, you know, we can't. That work and other things take a higher priority than God. John Mark Comer, he's a writer and a pastor, he recently wrote a book um, called The Ruthless Elimination of the, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And in that book, he makes this statement. He says, hurry is an assault on spirituality. That hurry is this all-out war on your faith. You know, that when we can't reflect, when we can't stop, when everything is just too important, 
then that is actually a war on your faith. And he quotes uh, Dallas Willard, who's a kind of a um, huge author in spirituality, who says, hurry is the great enemy of spirituality in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry in your life. I mean, they speak about this idea of not being able to rest, of busyness, in kind of stark terms. I mean, they're saying that this is the problem. You know, like, if we think about what is the problem with Christianity and, you know, in modern day, like lack of church attendance, secularism, you know, uh, temptations, make it hard to follow Christ, uh, bad theology, things like that. But they are saying that above all those things is this sense of hurry that we cannot stop. And we live in a culture that doesn't stop. And they're saying that is the problem. And just think about that in your life for a second. I know when I first was reflecting on this, I reflected on this all week because it kind of kept coming back to me uh, through the week. And at first I, I was like, no, no, no. That's not the main problem. You know, what about secularism? What about, you know, um, pluralism, the many religions out there? What about all these things? But then as I thought about it, I realized, well, yeah. Especially in my own context, it's not all those things that turn me away from faith. It is hurry. It is when my calendar rules me. It is when the thing, my stress rules me. It is when I cannot stop my frustrations rule me and, my, and, and trying to meet expectations rule me. That is when I fall away from God. That is when little by little I stop praying. I stop listening to scripture. I stop seeking community. That's when I stop. And I know that's true of many of us as well. All of our hurry and doing can lead us away from God. It leads us to react to the world not to respond to the world. The difference of that is, you know, we, we get up and we're like, oh, I got to do all these things. Ah! And then we're just running through our day. We're rushing, rushing, busyness and business and things to do and friends to meet and, you know, keeping up on social media and all these things. But the Sabbath is meant to be another way of life that is countercultural to that. It is meant to be a way of life that God gives us to model this rhythm of rest and work. That our lives are not supposed to be work, 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 vacation. Work, 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 weekend. Work, 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 uh, you know, games and kind of zoning out. We're meant to have this rhythm of rest and work. Some years ago now, I went to this uh, island in England off the course of kind of, uh, of northern England. It's called Lindisfarne. And this is called a tidal island, is where they, these monks like 1,600 years ago lived. And what that means is part of the day, the tide comes in, and it's a full island. You have to take a boat out. And part of the day, the tide goes out, and you can walk to it. And so what they developed in their life is they developed this rhythm of when the tide went out and people walked into their monastery for help, they would see that as a time of work, of helping others, of attending to the needs of their community. And when the tide came in, they would see that as a time of worship and reflection and community. And that's something that God develops with us with the Sabbath. It's this coming and going God knowing that we need rest, but we also need to work as well. 
We need to be active. We're made to be active, but we're also made to stop and worship. So today we're going to talk about kind of what that means to us. We're going to talk about what uh, the importance of the Sabbath is to us and how we can understand the Sabbath. And then we're going to look at the practices of the Sabbath that we can take part in on this day. And as I kind of share these things, the one thing I want to veer away from is legalism. Because the Sabbath, Jesus said, the Sabbath is made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And what that means is that we weren't made to just follow this rule. God just didn't give us rules because, you know, he wants us to legalistically follow them. He gave us these things because they're good and they help us. They're good for our faith. They're good for our community. They're good for others as well. So I just encourage you to kind of keep that in mind as we talk about these things as well. So we firstly talk about the importance of the Sabbath. We see that, I just mentioned that, the people of Israel um, in Jerusalem at that time, they didn't want to uh, work on the Sabbath. That was their main thing, to stop working. But we can see that that connects to the commandments, the fourth commandment that was just read. It says, six days we shall labor and do your work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. And it continues on. On it you shall not do any work, neither you or your son, your daughter, your uh, male or female servant, nor your animals or any foreigners residing in your town. Now the word Sabbath means to stop, to cease, to not do anything. And notice here that God is not just saying, take a day off. Just don't do anything for a day. He says, take a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So the stopping had a purpose. And the purpose was to honor God and receive God's blessings. Now, when we look at the Sabbath from kind of a modern context, we can see it as just a rule. Like, oh, another thing we got to do. If you grew up in the church, you might have kind of felt it as a rule. Like your parents are like, you got to go to church. you got to do this. I mean, I know I had some friends that Sabbath was like an all-day deal for them. They had to dress up in their nicest clothes. You know, they had to follow the rules all day, and it was just tiring for them, which kind of in college then, they were like, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to church. I don't want anything to do with the Sabbath. For others of us who, like, I didn't grow up in the church, so Sabbath was always kind of this new concept to me of, like, Supposed to take a day off? What does that mean? Why are we supposed to do this? I know I'm supposed to go to church, but why am I supposed to take a day? Like 24 hours. And so, like, I'm sure a lot of us are somewhere in between there. For some of us, we might have found the joy in the Sabbath and really love it. But we see that the Sabbath is never meant to be just a rule. If you think about it from the, the first readers of this covenant, just think about, like, the 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 people of God, the Jewish people. God gave these, this commandment on Mount Horeb to Moses, you know, the, the two, you know, um, tablets. And these people had just been in slavery in Egypt. They had just been, for generations, they had been forced to work every single day of the week, no stop. They had had to lift heavy, you know, rocks. They had had to do harsh manual labor. Basically, you look at the pyramids, you look at all the beautiful, like, giant uh, monuments in Egypt, the Jewish people built those things. They were the ones who put their, their time and energy, according to the Bible, into those monuments. 
And they were a harsh taskmasters, the Egyptians. So they had no rest, no days off, a few scant hours of sleep. And the only rest they got was death. So then, all of a sudden, God frees them from bondage, frees them into the wilderness, and he says to them, take a day. Don't work for a day. Just imagine what that would have meant to them. It would have meant that God is different than the people that they had been under, the Egyptians. God is different. God does not just value what they could do. God values their whole person. And that's what we learn from the Sabbath. The Sabbath means that God does not just value what you can do for him. If you are doing a lot for God, it's not that God says to you, okay, finally, you're my son. You're my daughter. Yep, I love you now. And then when you're not, he's like, oh, nope, sorry. Not, not quite there. You got to get up here. Get up here and you're with me. The Sabbath reminds us that God loves us for us. He loves us when we're working and he loves us when we're not working. He loves us when we can show our worth through what we do and when we can't show our worth by what we do. So the Sabbath is an outpouring of grace. You know, in 1 John, it says, John writes, he says, that this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he first loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So when we understand this, you could understand it saying, well, yeah, God loved us first. He sent us Jesus and Jesus atoned for our sins. That happened once. So, you know, in the future, God loves me when I love him. But what this is saying is God always loves you first. Every day he loves you first in everything you do. So before you get up in the morning, God loves you first. You get up and kind of think through what you got to do through this day. You might be struggling with some shame, like I'm not doing enough. You might be struggling with some guilt, some worry about what you did do that was not the best thing that you need to atone for. Whatever you're going through, God loved you first. As you go through your day, ups and downs, struggles and joys, God loved you first through all those things. When you go to bed, God loved you first before you even prayed to him or remembered him. So that's what the Sabbath reminds us of. Reminds us that God always loves us first. Before you can ever respond to him, he's responding to you. And he wants you to just take a day to remember that, just to acknowledge that. You know, in, in the Bible, work is not seen necessarily as a blessing. I mean, we're created to work. In the garden, God, Adam and Eve worked. They tended the garden. They tended God's animals and, and his creation. But then the fall happened. Sin entered the world. Adam and Eve, they lied to God. They, they committed sin. And they were kicked out of the garden. And all of a sudden, something different happens with work. Work goes from this blessing and this wonderful thing that is life-giving and, and helpful to this hard thing. Outside the garden, work is hard. It's demanding. It, it, will, you know, it takes uh, life from you to do it. And so when we see work today, we see that, yes, we're created to work. We're created by God to uh, work for his kingdom. But often work is hard. It is demanding. It takes energy and life from you to do that work. And that is just kind of what 
is part of the fall. Hurry is part of the brokenness of the fall. And so when we remember the, the Sabbath, we're actually drawn back not to the fall, we're drawn back to the garden. When you practice the Sabbath, God is drawing you back to the garden, the way things were meant to be. In the garden, people worked for God and they remembered where, why they're doing their work and who they're doing their work for. And they also walked with God in the, the cool of the evening. And on the Sabbath, whether that happens in an emotional way and you feel like, oh, I'm walking with God today, oh, everything's so great, that's what you're acknowledging. You're remembering on this day that your work is God's, that you're not working for yourself, you're not working for your paycheck, you're not working for the weekend, you're not working for your future. Ultimately, you are working for God. Your work is God's. So we do our work differently, and we're reminded of that on the Sabbath. And we're also reminded that God is just with us. He's here. Whether I do work, whether I don't do work, and that stops us from hurrying. It just slows us down. So as we think about the blessing of the Sabbath, I want to share with you some Sabbath practices. These are practices that we see in the command and also uh, in Nehemiah about ways that we're called just to treat this day. This day for many of you is the Sabbath. It is your day that you stop. It's, we call it the Lord's Day in, in Christian lingo. It's the day when most of you worship, which is part of the Sabbath. But I encourage you to think about the Sabbath in a more holistic way. Not just the hour on a Sunday or the couple hours you spend with people after church. But to see this as a whole day that the Lord just wants to be with you. That he just wants you to intentionally practice certain practices that remind you of who God is and who you are and who you are to be in the world. And so the first of those practices is simply to stop. That is just the, the first practice is simply to stop. We see that the Lord says that on the Sabbath you shall not do any work, neither you or your servants, all these things that I said before, even the alien residing in the land. So notice who this applies to. It applies to the rich and the poor. It applies to the upper levels of society and the lower levels of society, to the young, to the old. It applies to everybody. There's a cool aspect of this too because even the poorest of the poor in, according to the law, are meant to be cared for on the Sabbath. They're not supposed to rest, e they're not supposed to work either. So they're called, other people that are called to care for them, so they don't have to work on the Sabbath. It applies to every single person. And there are some of us in, in this room even, or in this church especially, who can't do this. That if they stop, their, their family's gonna not make it. There are definitely people around the world that cannot stop for a day to take a Sabbath because they will not make it. And I think for those people, God says to them, take the Sabbath in your heart as you can. But I think for most of us, we're not in that situation. We might feel that our work never stops. We might feel that we have so much to do all the time. We might feel that there's demands on us from every, you know, from every side, but we can take a Sabbath. It might mean taking, making some hard choices. It might mean even finding another job in some cases. But for many of us, we can take the Sabbath. We can stop. 
Because God never wants us to be like this. This guy is Sisyphus. He's a, a, a feature of Greek myth. If you know who he is, basically his job, all, he's cursed to just take this boulder up a hill and then let it go down the hill. And then pick it up, let it go up the hill and down the hill. And up the hill and down the hill. And I know that's how work can feel for a lot of us. Just like, okay, I'm pushing, the, pushing it up the hill. Okay, there it goes. Back again, doing the same thing. And this is not the way God created us to be. God did not create us to be Sisyphus. He created to be people created in his image. So we see that God himself stops. And he says that you can stop too. And the ways to practice this, I mean, are many. And I think when you think about stopping on your own, you need to think about how, what does it mean to you to stop? I mean, I read about a family recently that stopped. They, they practiced this commandment by saying to their family that they would only do things that are a joy to them. So it was kind of a Marie Kondo kind of Sabbath practice. So basically what it meant for them is that if they felt laundry was not a joy, they would save it till Monday. If they felt like gardening was not a joy, it would be done during the week. It's not that they're not doing these things. They're just saving them to the next day if they're not a joy. If someone loved cooking, they would do it on that day. But if they hated cooking, they would order out or figure out some other way to, to do it. So that's one way of thinking about it. I know others think about the Sabbath and stopping as you will do no paid work on the Sabbath. So that's how I know other people kind of practice stopping. I know others that for their children, they don't do sports on Sunday because that's work. Other friends I know do have their kids do sports on Sunday because it's not work. So there's kind of a line there that you have to ask yourself and ask God, what does stopping mean to you? So as you stop, you're also called to rest. We see that in the scripture that for six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. I'm pretty sure God does not need a nap. God does not need, you know, God does not get tired like we do. So we could wonder why he rested. God does not need to rest, but God wanted to rest. And the first reason why is he rests as an example to us of our need to rest. That we need physical rest to survive. We need enough sleep. We need to chill out. We need to relax. We need to recover our strength. We need to cease engaging in stressful activity. Our bodies need that. I keep this quote uh, in my office often. I, I took it down recently. But it's a quote by a man named... Uh, um, Alistair Hart, he was a professor of mine in seminary, and he says this, people in a hurry, oops, uh, never have a chance, let me get it to it, there we go, okay, people in a hurry never have a chance for recovery. Their minds have little time to meditate and pray so that problems can be put in, into perspective. In short, People in our age are showing signs of physiological and psychological disintegration because we are living at a pace that is too fast for our bodies. Now just think about that. You know, the people at the top 
who are making the most money, doing the most business, they are often the people with the most brokenness in their life. They're the ones who they've sacrificed their families to work. They've sacrificed multiple marriages for work. They've sacrificed friendships. They've sacrificed their health to work. And the people who are on the top who have figured it out, they live a different life. You know, um, Ariana Huffington, who's the uh, owner of Huff, the Huff Post, she goes to bed at nine o'clock every night. She has this practice of going, I need sleep. I know that. So I'm not going to stay up until four in the morning working. I'm going to get up and start at eight, and I'm going to be done with work and have time with family and go to bed at 9, 8, 9 p.m. It's crazy that she is, you know, in the top of her field, but she has that value. And so we think it's impossible to just rest, but it is possible. You just have to make hard choices. And another reason that we see that um, God rested is to appreciate. God rested, and after every day, he said, it is good. Just basically, he said, it's good. So he looked at his work like an artist, like someone who has um, done a masterpiece that has just made this beautiful creation and said, that's good. I think it's pretty good. And Sabbath is for a day for you also to simply say that. Sabbath is a day for us to be reminded that God is good. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. That's what we do on this day. We've been singing songs about God's goodness. We've been remembering God's goodness. This is the day for you just to go, nothing's good in my life, but God is good. I'm just going to say that 10 times until I start believing it. And it's also a time to appreciate the other things around you as well. Just to appreciate your family. To go, you know what, God, thank you. It's good. You've given me friends around me who love me. It's good. You've given me a church community to be involved with. God, it's good. You've given me your creation to enjoy. Even though I'm, I'm hurting, even though I'm feeling bad, even though I might be sick, even though I'm dealing with struggles, God, you are good. And this is one day we're just encouraged to acknowledge that. If we didn't have this day, we wouldn't do it. I mean, as you know, and as I know, it's hard to appreciate. It's hard to appreciate what we have. It's hard to appreciate others. It's easier to criticize than to appreciate. And this shows not just in, like, the church world, but in the secular world as well. I was reading a study recently where they did this study of, I think it was 20,000 people, about gratitude in their life. And the people who are more grateful had... Uh, better health, um, they had better relationships, they even had a better sex life for married couples. <laughs> Gratitude has that kind of result. And so we're called just to appreciate. And along with appreciation is just what I call delight. Now, that might think, well, what does that have to do with the Sabbath? Delighting is just this idea of enjoying something, just appreciating something, just... Uh, being excited about something. And delight is actually a part of the Sabbath. Eugene Peterson describes it this way. He says, the Sabbath is a day for praying and for playing. So on this day, you're called to just enjoy people around you. So like going to church, going like to lunch after church is actually part of delighting in each other. 
You know, hanging out in fellowship time, just catching up with each other, that is an aspect of Sabbath. You might think of like, well, yeah, that wasn't really something that you thought about as Sabbath before, but it is. Delighting in friends, taking a walk, doing something you enjoy that is not work. Again, the Marie Kondo uh, Sabbath. Just being in community is a way of doing Sabbath. And lastly, but not least, is the, uh, the part that is always most central to Sabbath, and that's worship. That's why we have church. You, if you wonder why we have church on Sunday, it was decided by church councils in 8300 or 400 that Sunday would be the day that Christians worship. It would be our Lord's Day, our Sabbath. Jewish people have their Sabbath on Saturday. That is to them the last day of the week, Sunday then the beginning of the week. For us, our last day of the week is Sunday. So that's why we worship on this day. It's part of your Sabbath. It's meant to kick your Sabbath off. And worship in the scriptures always has the sense of a, a vertical dimension and a horizontal dimension. The vertical dimension is obviously worshiping God. It says this is a day to honor God. So we're here, we're worshiping God, we're giving the honor due him, we're saying we thank you God, you are Lord, you are worthy. But also Sabbath has this worship aspect which is horizontal as well. Because notice in the, in the Sabbath that uh, commandment we talked about, who also gets to be a part of the Sabbath? The foreigner, the outsider, the widow, the orphan, the needy, the refugee, the alien. Even those people get to enjoy the blessing of the Sabbath in the Jewish law. So that means that the Sabbath also has this aspect of loving others. That on this day we remember that God loves us. He loves us first. He loves us holistically. But we also remember that God loves others. So we're always reminded on this day that God also envelops others in the Sabbath blessing as well. Because the Sabbath just goes beyond the day. We read in Nehemiah that the next commandment after the Sabbath is, every seventh year we will forego working the land and we will cancel all debts. Now just think about that for a second. We don't have land, so we don't you know, have land to lay fallow for a year. But a lot of us have debts. I mean, a lot of us have debts. Just imagine every seven years, your debt's just canceled. Your credit card debt, you come back and you're like, zero? School loans, zero? What? Wouldn't that be a day, just an amazing, awesome day of rejoicing? That's an aspect of the Sabbath. That they re remembered that the Sabbath is like a ripple going outwards. Everybody needs rest sometime. We need financial rest. We need physical rest. We need emotional rest. We need spiritual rest. And so part of the Sabbath for them was that we're going to extend that rest to others. We're going to allow somebody else to rest. That's an outpouring of the Sabbath. So think about that in your own life. Who needs rest that you either encounter or you see? Who needs rest in the city? Who needs, who needs relief in this city around us? And when you decide with God's help and care that you are going to give that rest 
in some way, you are practicing the Sabbath, this idea of rest. You know, there are churches that, I don't know if you've read uh, articles about this, but there's been a few churches that have decided just to cancel medical debt. You know, they pay like $40,000 and they can buy like millions of dollars of debt, like three, four million dollars, and then they just cancel it. They just rip it up and say, receive the rest, receive the blessing. And that's a very like tangible way of Sabbath practice. That just allowing people to rest. So I encourage you to think about that worship vertically on this day. That we are giving our praise to God and also to see it as horizontally. That we are called to go out and share our blessings and rest with others. Wayne Muller, in his book, The Sabbath, writes that the successful life has become a violent enterprise. We just talked about that. The successful life has become a violent enterprise. That it, you will sacrifice lots of things for the successful life. And that is what the Sabbath goes against in your life. That the Sabbath says stop. Smell the roses. Stop. Love your family. Stop. Love your friends. Love your community. Stop. Love me. Stop. Receive my love. So I encourage you to think about what the Sabbath means for you. In the midst of schoolwork, in the midst of work, in the midst of friends and family, obligations. You know, Sabbath is supposed to be a ceasing of stressful activities. And for some of us, we can't get around stressful activities. You might have kids, and that's a stressful activity. And you might have other stressful activities. So in the midst of it, just saying, what does the Sabbath mean to you? Ask God that. What does it mean to rest for me? What does God want me to do in stopping, in resting, in appreciating and delighting and in worshiping. Let us pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you that this one day you call us to in the scriptures and even in our covenant you call us to because Jesus valued the Sabbath. Your son said, so as we as Christians think about following the Sabbath, Lord, help us to understand what it means to us because we know it's going to mean some sacrifice. It's going to mean some sacrifice of our comfort. It's going to mean some sacrifice of our time. It's going to mean that, that some work does not get done. And we have to figure out other ways for it to get done in our week. We know that it's, it might mean a lot of things. And it will mean more worship. It will mean more reflection. More community. More appreciation. More just time delighting with you. We know that it's going to mean that. So help us understand what that means for us and even what it means for us as a church. What does it mean for us to honor this Sabbath day as a community? To enjoy each other, to bless each other, to encourage each other, to worship together and encourage each other in worship and to give our focus to you. We thank you, God. We give you all the praise and glory. You are good. And we thank you that you call us to good things as well. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.